0: Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American Patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent Kyle Serafin. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Wednesday, July the 26th. We've got a, uh, a guest for you today and an interview that we're going to roll. I think you're really going to appreciate it. Uh, When we bring Carlos on, I think that it's going to be illuminating, and uh, I hope you will forgive just the lower quality video. He was actually streaming from his phone, and uh, he's not a guy of significant means. He is a guy with a significant story, and I think you guys can all appreciate that. So uh, hang in there for that. First, we want to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Catholic Vote. Uh, Here they are right there. So folks, uh, you can sign up for The Loop. You all know, go to catholicvote.org, type in your email address and your zip code. You'll get The Loop. I wanted to read from The Loop today because The Loop actually had some really interesting stuff on it. Uh, An email that showed up at my email box just before 5 a.m. this morning shows... uh, An article on the cartels thriving under the Biden administration. We're actually going to be talking about that. Uh, Javier Becerra testifying on missing children. We're going to be talking about that today. These are unplanned. These just are fortuitous in the way they work out. A Nobel Prize canceled over climate change. That sounds pretty screwy. Uh, D.C. police investigating attack on pro-lifers. A lot of things you're going to be interested in reading about. LGBTQ activists, level shocking threats against educators. Uh, it goes on and on. The The loop is a great email, so I recommend it 100%. And if you guys want just a couple of quick stories that are going to either send you out in the world forearmed, or if you want uh, a little bit of outrage to start your day, that will get it going too. We'll also say thanks to Patriot Coolers right there. Here's mine. I've got mine full. I am ready for this show today, and uh, we will be uh, enjoying a smoothie out of the Patriot Cooler. Folks, you can go to PatriotCoolers.com. Here they are right there. PatriotCoolers.com. Use promo code KYLE, K-Y-L-E. Again, promo code KYLE, K-Y-L-E. You'll get 10% off. It's free shipping over 50 bucks. You can see in this picture, if you're watching the Rumble channel, that uh, they've donated uh, almost $370,000 to veterans since 2018. It's not a very old company, and that's quite a bit of money. A portion of all of their proceeds go to Disabled Vets, And a small portion, when you use our promo code, comes to us. So we do appreciate that. Uh, By all means, patriotcoolers.com, promo code KYLE, K-Y-L-E. Check out any of their bigger items, too. They've got some really nice coolers. I've got one sitting in the garage, and I'm going to be starting to fill it up when I do my workouts out there. Some of you guys are tagging me on social media, by the way. If you do buy a Patriot cooler, uh, if you buy a Tumblr, or if you buy one of their bigger products, tag me and tag them. They are at Patriot Coolers on Truth and on Twitter, so check that out for sure. All right, so today's interview, I think is gonna be a little bit unsettling. It may be a little bit intense for some of you all, but uh, bear with me here. It's about 90 minutes. I'll be back at the end of it and we'll uh, we'll break it down. If you have any questions that you would like to ask Carlos, we're gonna do a Twitter space maybe tomorrow Maybe tomorrow evening, but uh, throw them in the comment section so that I can make sure that one, we record the Twitter space and two, I get your comments out there to start off the interview with him, uh, the post interview, if you will. So we have the live chat. You guys all know that. And then below us is the comment section. If you scroll down there and drop questions in the comment section, they will be addressed in the Twitter space that Carlos agreed to do. And um, you can also see that we've put his Twitter profile in the show notes, which is just a little bit of a scroll down. And then also we have put his give, send, go. If you want to support the guy, he is without income. He did exactly what you, you'd want someone to do. Step forward, speak up. Um, I think you're going to be really moved by his story by the end of it. I think Ryan and I both were. And you can catch him again on LFA TV with Ryan. We did multiple interviews with this guy because there's a lot of story there. So let me go ahead and bring him on without any further ado. And folks, I will be joining you in the live chat. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have on the show today Carlos Ariano, who is a whistleblower from a former government NGO or a non-government uh, agency, rather that he was working with. He spent some time working on the border and dealing with uh, migrants who came in and were being transported underneath the Biden administration. We're going to talk about that, but let's talk about first: Where did you grow up, buddy? Where did you come from? So, I was born in Houston, Texas, in the
1: in the Houston Heights area, to be exact, but. I grew up in the McAllen, Texas area, and uh, I went to high school, grade school, all that stuff in the Rio Grande Valley, and I've been here my whole life, and most of my working uh, history has been in the NGO field on the border, and I'm pretty much a Texas person, except some of the time that I spend in New York City
0: okay, fair enough. and uh, and we were just talking before we got started, but you went to Mexico to get some uh, medical work done. uh do you speak Spanish? Do you go back and forth across the border?
1: Yes, I do. Um I'm uh, I can actually I actually like to speak in Spanish better than in English because uh, English is my second language, mm-hmm. but um i I practice as much as I can, so I keep trying to speak in English as much as I can. but I, I got family in Mexico. I got family that I've met in Mexico. I got family that I've never met in Mexico due to the cartel situation in the North. The fam- my family will tell me, Hey, uh, it's not worth it to come see us. Uh, just go see the other family. That's right by the border. Don't come anywhere near us more down South cause stuff, something can happen to you. They doesn't matter if I speak Spanish, they can spot me from a mile away that I'm not from the area.
0: Yeah. So they tell you not to travel into the interior of Mexico, even though you're fluent in Spanish and your family members are there.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, the advice is don't do it because it's easy to spot you. Even, even if you speak Spanish, even if we're related to you, uh, you're not only going to cause problems for yourself, but for us. And we'd rather you not do it. And I, it's family I've never met. I'm, I'm uh, 31 years old and I've never met them because they tell me it's, it's not worth your life, our lives. Uh, we'll
0: FaceTime, and that's it. Which is kind of sad. How long has that been like that? Is that your whole life? Uh, yeah, so the
1: cartel stuff is nothing new to those of us who are down here, but it's gotten worse in the recent years. I want to say about the past, uh, the early 2000s, it's started to pick up, and it's gotten real out of hand these last four four years, three, four years. It's gotten real bad. And yeah, you uh, mentioned- it's to the—oh,
0: go ahead. No, you said you had some family members that are in law enforcement, too, so you're kind of seeing it from both ends. What What is that like?
1: Oh, man, it's a lot of—it's uh, a lot of—of—how uh, uh, can I say it? At first, it was— it was, uh, you know, uh, don't go, don't do any of the whistleblower stuff. But as time has gone on, it's like, you know what, F the government, F everything. If you can get them back for us, go go hurt them as much as you can by speaking out. And I received full support from my family and law enforcement. But yeah, it's, it, it used to be a, because I, I was considering it for a long time, uh, speaking out, but you know you never know who you, who you can trust. And it wasn't until I ran across a reporter that I said, I, I can trust them, I can trust them. But it took me a while to gain the courage to be like, hey, can you help me out? Can you help get my story out? And uh, throughout those years, I was always, I'm going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. But until I decided to do it, my family and law enforcement was like, you have our full support.
0: Well, that's actually really, really helpful. What, uh, let's talk about the, the day-to-day work, what kind of things you were involved in doing, and then we can get into the whistleblower stuff at the end of this. What, uh, what kind of work did you start doing, and, and how did you start working in these non-governmental agencies?
1: So I've worked in this for a while, and uh, under the Trump administration, the previous administration, I've worked as a detention officer where that that's what the title was but basically all it was was hey sit in the chair make sure no one walks out the front door make sure no one comes in without you getting the clear the say so from a from the bp agent and uh that job was uh at a processing intake center for border patrol and uh, it was in donna texas and uh and uh, I've done that. I've worked as a, uh, they call it a youth care worker, but as a youth care worker, what it means is you're a babysitter for all the unaccompanied ch- migrant children. So I would, I've would i worked in, in shelters where s- the smallest shelter I w- worked at was 200 kids, and the largest shelter I worked at was 8,000 kids.
0: 8,000?
1: 8, and, yeah, 8,000, 8,000. And uh, in indie shelters, you're basically a babysitter for the migrant children. Meaning, you show up to your shift. They give you, they assign you about eight to ten kids. You got to wake them up and be like, "Hey guys, breakfast is here. You got to eat." And then you got to get them ready for school. They have teachers who either come in person or during the COVID area was through iPads and and you you go between math class to science class to reading class. And then at the certain time of the day it's like, all right, now you guys can play with the PlayStation at these shelters. They have PlayStation five, Nintendo switches, the latest soccer game, uh, FIFA soccer game. They have, uh, iPads that they can go on Facebook. And once they got done with class, they could use all those things. Mm. And uh, it it was just, uh, all right, now you guys can go play outside. We walk them to the outside area where they could play soccer, basketball, football, and then it'd be like, all right, walk them back in. And you're basically a babysitter. You're just there to make sure they're not fighting with each other. Because a lot of the times there was fights and there was a lot of, chaotic situations that I can get into a lot. So I did that job. That job led me to escorting migrant children, which a lot of us finally saw on the news when when uh, they captured a few planes uh, on camera in the New- upper state New York area. I wasn't on those flights, but they got ex- uh, on the media where they were transporting I think it was 300 kids that were going to upstate New York. Yep. And th- for, for that job, it's you pick up kids on the border, of, on the border, and you transfer them. Uh, you So my day to day there was, you show up to the office, you get a vanilla folder, the vanilla folder has files, and it has uh, child A is going to Florida, child B is going to New York child sees going to Pennsylvania and the drop-off point is New York, but you're going to get off, get a rental, drive around to all these States, spread out all these kids where they're going, get back on the plane, come back and then do it again.
0: Whoa. All right. I got a couple questions here. Let me, let me cut it. If you don't mind. I got, I want to try to leave a couple of these. Number one, you just described a lot of technology. You said iPads uh, up to hundreds of kids in these facilities. Uh, all the video game systems and stuff like that. Who pays for all that? Where where was that money coming from?
1: Oh Well, it's taxpayer money, but the government is doing things where they hand it out to NGOs and the NG- they, 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 they clear, they wash their hands by saying, hey, we're not doing this because technically they're not because they hand all these uh, large contracts to the NGOs and the NGOs, because they don't want any issues with the kids... They buy them everything they want just to keep them entertained while they're in custody of the NGO. So if the kids are requesting, "Hey, I want to see a, a movie that just came out," say, "I want to see uh, the Barbie movie," uh, uh, the NGO will approve it, and they'll give the youth care worker a, a, a card to purchase it through the iPad. And on the iPad, all the kids watch the movie, hmm. and. Uh, basically anything the the children want they can put in a request for it or will get approved because if you don't keep the kids entertained they try to run away and if they run away usually usually these shelters are in the middle of nowhere out in the desert area Uh, for example i was in midland texas i was in pecos texas uh, out in the Paso area and, you know, if they run away, there's nothing nearby. They're going to get either be bitten by a snake or something, or there's nothing. Usually these shelters for these children, they're somewhere where there's no one living. They're in the middle of nowhere, out of sight, of from everybody. You, you, when you go to work to these shelters, you got to get on a bus, and a bus takes about an hour to drive all the way inside. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, basically no way to, No, no way for anybody to see them unless you're working there.
0: So I guess uh, the the obvious question that I have is where are all their parents? Oh man. uh, So all these children,
1: they're all, they call them UACs. So they're unaccompanied minors. Either their parents are already in the country or their parents are back in their home country. And a lot of the situations I used to get children tell me, My mom told me that she didn't want me there anymore to come to to the U.S. to live with my aunt. She kicked me out of the house. It'll be a kid that's like thirteen years old, twelve years old. You know, any age you can think of, I've heard it all. And uh, a lot of the times, uh, the child will say, "My mom got held back by the cartel, and they're gonna hold her ransom until I pay off for the trip." And the longer I take to pay off, the longer they're gonna they're gonna do something to her. And uh, it was that was an often situation, you know, because you spend all these uh, all day with these kids. Even if you're gonna go drop them off to a family member in another state, you're still at the airport with them, waiting for the connections. And the kids start talking, and uh, we're we're told, hey, if the kid wants to talk, don't be don't be rude, don't be this, don't be that. Talk to them back. And the kids w- would tell us, uh, yeah, no, a lot of the times it was very common. My mom got got held back by the cartel. My sister got held back. Uh, my, my sister died along the way here. Something happened to her. It was always a tragic story. Uh, lately, back then, uh, before the Biden administration, it was, it wasn't so common. Now it's, it's it's crazy situations where it's every day it's, hey, this happened, this happened to me, or this kid doesn't want to talk because he went through something with a parent and the parent didn't make it here. So it was a lot of that.
0: That's, that's horrific stuff. W- where are these kids coming from that they're showing up without parents and that their parents are being held up by cartels? W- what is home to them? What countries?
1: Well, when I first started, it was the Central American countries, But when I last, when I last left, uh, when I was last there, before I left, uh, it was, uh, we did, I did the, the escorting for the Afghan kids, you know, when the, when they took people out of Afghanistan, we, it was us who took care of that. And,
0: And uh, And you're moving unaccompanied Afghan children.
1: Yeah, we moved unaccompanied Afghan children. And, uh. It was, it was the weirdest situation ever because the language barrier is there. There's no way to communicate with them. And a lot of the times they were crying. And uh, it, was, it was a mess to where eventually you would find out that the, the child from Afghanistan did have their parents come to the country, but somehow they were in Germany still. And somehow the child made it to the U.S. before the parents did. And it was it was a mess it was a mess and um aside from that uh when I was last there, we started seeing kids more they the kids outnumbered the from Central America was the smaller number the kids started coming from the middle east uh north africa uh Asia. So we would get a lot of kids from China, and we we, we even saw a lot of kids from, uh, forget the name of the country. It was a lot of the, the Middle Eastern countries. The Middle Eastern and the Asian countries out far outnumbered the, uh, the, uh, the countries in the Americas. So, you know, usually people are like, oh, well, they're Spanish, they speak, uh, we gotta hire people who speak Spanish because the kids are from, Guatemala, Salvador, oh, no, this and that. Right now, they're not. They're they're the they're the least number of kids that are coming to to the United States. It's people from across. When I escorted kids, we even took kids uh, to their parents in Hawaii, and it was like, how the hell are you do are you uh, undocumented and you're in Hawaii? Like, how the hell did you make it here? But we had trips. Where we would go there, and we would, me and my coworkers would fight over this trip. It's like, no, I want to go there. I want to go there, and and because they because it was during the COVID area, uh, the COVID era too. So Hawaii had this strict rule where you flew into the state, you couldn't leave the next day. So whoever had to go escort a kid there, you were there for five to six days, and you were still on the clock. So you don't punch out. Until you come back from from uh, reunifying a kid, so say I gotta go drop off a kid in L.A. I'm not gonna punch out until I to my flight lands back from California. So it was the best trips ever that everybody would fight for because oh I want to be on the clock and I want to be out over there in Hawaii. Like it was just it's crazy, but somehow they were there.
0: But Yeah, well that's uh, that's that sounds like regular government work in many ways. But- <laughs> Let me ask you something. You mentioned colleagues and coworkers. What did they say? What did they think was going on there? And what was the impression about uh, what was going on with these kids?
1: Oh, so a lot of uh, a lot of colleagues of mine. When, like, for example, when I first got into this, uh, it wasn't as crazy as it is now. And you, you, a lot of people like me, you join. Let's be honest. You know, you join for the money. These government contracts pay outrageous money. I was telling uh, a family. I was showing a family member of mine how they're paying thirty five an hour to be a custodian at a government site for for the border. I saw uh, an ad for it, and it says thirty five dollars an hour to be a custodian. And uh, you join for the money, but you also join because you know you speak the language, you want to be helpful uh, to a lot of these kids, uh, you feel for them. And uh, that was the the initial feeling when we when you when I first joined and among my colleagues. But recently, it's 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 more of part um, Pardon my language. But it's more of a fuck the government and fuck this job. And because it's it's like the article I sent you, you know, the Dallas one where they were stuck in buses for five days with the kids. It's it's more of a of you guys, the escorts, you figure it out. Here's the children. You guys figure it out. Here's the plane tickets. You, You find a way to get them there. If the flight's canceled, if the flight's delayed, it's on you guys. If something pops up, it's on you guys. And usually the escort, right now, the escort is the last line of communication that a child has with anyone sort of related to the government. Once the once the, the child is handed off from the NGO at the shelter to the escorting person, uh, that's the last time they, they, they talk to anybody. There's no, there, there is supposed to be a follow-up call once the kid's reunited with a sponsor or a family member, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, which, which goes back to, you know, all the kids that are missing.
0: Yeah, so we just showed the, the, the article about the bus. Can you tell people what that's all about? He says that they were left on a bus for five days. What is the situation in that bus? Like, who's there? Who's in charge? And why were they stuck there for five days? So in 2021, they opened up the emergency
1: influx shelters, which is when the Biden era, era started. And as soon as Biden came into office, the numbers just tripled. Uh, the it was it used to be all right guys, today you have five kids that you're gonna go reunify. When the Biden uh, administration showed up that that year, it became uh, you guys have 20 kids, all right, you guys are gonna work with two other co-workers and you're gonna reunify 30 kids. And then it just um, it got still so on of hand. That they had to open up these shelters that they started calling the emergency influx shelters they started putting kids in stadiums so in convention centers i don't know if you you know you go you're from texas i don't know if you ever if you remember seeing it but governor avis showed up to the alamo dome i believe in san antonio because there was a lot of bad situations going on there and it, the numbers were so crazy that convention centers in San Diego, uh, Dallas, San Antonio, or uh, is the other one, um, the army base in El Paso had to be had to take in kids, and there's still kids in there. And uh, it, the same thing happened in uh, Arizona. Uh, convention centers, stadiums where football, soccer, baseball games were being played. Uh, kids started being put in there and they were in the thousands. So it's impossible to move all these kids and to get enough you know, staff members to move them. So it was like, all right, guys, uh, the kids have to leave the NGO shelter, go pick them up. And, and it would be, uh, wait on the buses. We have more staff coming in to help you all. They'll be there shortly, shortly turned into five days. And on these buses, it, it would be uh, 20 girls, 20 underage girls, 20 underage boys, and about four, three staff to to 40, to 40 children. And these buses were, uh, you, the rule was do not let them off the bus no matter what, because there's reporters lurking. We don't want them to take pictures of you all. We don't want them to take camera, any kind of video of you guys. Uh, We'll bring out snacks to you all. We'll bring out food to you all. And once we get enough staff to go to the airports, once we get all the plane tickets, then we'll start moving everybody. But they just kept kept giving us the runaround. It was like, all right, guys, it was tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow we'd show up. And be like, no, it's tomorrow, and it turned into five, six days. And did they so know that five, you guys six...
0: had a bunch of little girls that were stuck on a bus? I mean, were they aware of what the situation was? Who? Oh, the the our managers. Yeah, the NGO managers.
1: No, yeah, they knew. They were aware. They were, they they just wanted they just wanted to because the they could lose the contract if they were to to return them to the shelter and say, hey, we can't move them because we don't have the staff for this. Got it. So, the option there was no option to go back to the shelter because the contract could be lost. So it's waited out on the buses, and that's that's why that got on the news in Dallas. And uh, we had situations like that in in San Antonio, California. It was just insane, and there was just uh, things of uh, twenty migrant children ran away from the stadium in San Antonio. There was reports of staff inside the stadium in San Antonio hooking up with these kids, like having romantic relationships. And I think that that one in San Antonio, Governor Abbott himself showed up, but I couldn't find the the report to it. But if I'm not mistaken, he showed up himself and then, or the someone showed up from the state of Texas and they got it shut, shut down because they, the situation there just got so out of hand, but Um, yeah, so that's how, that's how the reason was, was because the word in 2021 was the kids would tell us, oh, Biden, Biden's here now. I'm here and my cousins and my aunts and everybody else is on the way. Uh, it's, it's, we, we know we're being welcomed in and it was just insane. Like the, the stories from that, that, that I would hear, it'd be like, you hear rumors and then you, you would tell yourself like no there's no way that's true but then you would find out things later on where you could put one two and two together and be like well uh, that did happen and it sucks and uh, what am i doing here uh, what am i being a part of and it just started messing with my head and my co-workers said so the morale was was really low at a long time low in, in 2021 and so forth
0: I can totally imagine that. Now, here's here's a question, and I don't know if you had access to this information, but were the contract dollars being paid to the NGO going up with the number of people that they were agreeing to move? In other words, did they make yes. more money when more kids came in?
1: Yes, yes, and especially in the holidays. So in the holidays, it was uh, sort of like a like a bonus type of thing, like, hey... You guys move this many amount of children uh, in time for Christmas, in time for the New Year's. Uh, the 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 pay the we and we knew this because they would tell us, "Hey, we're gonna get pay you guys an extra two to three dollars for working this week or for working this week." And if you accept a call for Christmas Day, uh, we're gonna add another eight hours to your guys' check. And you know when you when they start telling you that. You put two and two together and it's like you guys you guys are giving us eight hours. Who knows how much the government's paying you guys to get for us to move these kids for you.
0: A hundred percent that. And so do you think that the fact that you were understaffed was because they were cutting costs and trying to keep more in their pockets? Was that your instinct?
1: I believe so, which is one of the reasons why I spoke out, because with everything going on, the NGOs get lost in, in the in the media so all the focus is on the the government and yeah. the and the city state federal governments but no one is paying attention to the ngos which is one of the main reasons why i spoke out because when they were trying to verify my my uh, my work uh my work history in new york city the city of new york was wiping its hands clean by saying no he never worked here and or they would say, oh, well, we've got to refer you to this company or this company. And they were just going back and forth because uh, the government will hire uh, a first party contractor and that one will outsource and hire another four or five contractors to work under them. So the money's just being passed around and the NGOs are no one thinks of them because man, not many people, not many people are paying attention to them the way they should
0: yeah you seem like you uh were, were paying attention to a lot of this so i'm i'm grateful to, for the information how many levels do you think were going on between who was paying you and the government that was paying the original contract any any sense of that
1: so for the escorting there was no so for the escorting um the shelters were being run by uh so there's there's ngos there's a, there's a lot of them But there's major play like the top ones that you see a lot because you work in this field for a while. You start to recognize which names are bigger than the other ones because you see them have more jobs available. So there's NGOs that run shelters and they do the escorting themselves, too. Okay. But when they're not when their numbers are too high, they outsource and hire other companies. But the company that I worked for directly that I spoke out against last year they have the largest contract when it comes to escorting in the United States. Uh, they move the most out of all the NGOs. So they're so they're getting paid by the government and then they pay me, they would pay me. So the uh, NBM Inc is directly paid by the government. They don't do any outsourcing, uh, they hire on their own. And uh, that was who I spoke out of, uh, against last year because that company my uh, my superior my my area manager sent out a company email with a company handle where he stated we got you guys we are messing up we are handing off kids to the wrong people this is really bad there's a lot of reports that you guys have either accepted wrong documentation and in the wrong documentation, the person who you handed off the child to does not look like the person on the ID that we provided for you guys and you guys, uh, this is really bad. And it was just, it, uh, the email goes on and on. It's, it's on Savannah's, uh, video. Uh, but yeah, they, they admitted that and that was, that was like the breaking point for me, you know, and it's like, cause my, the manager who sent that email out, he has a Mercedes. He would show up in a Tesla. He would show up in all these high, high rolling cars, high uh, with big money. He would show up with the with with uh, jewelry, with the nicest watch, and it would kill me to think, you know, hey, here you are, gladly accepting this money, this taxpayer money from the government, but you're not making sure that my coworkers. Are not doing the right job of handing off the kids to the right people, so that's that was my breaking point. Where I provided the email to Sab and uh, I spoke out, and a lot of a lot of uh, people picked up the story. But but the part of the issue to that story was was that I was my face was blurred out, my voice was altered. There's a lot of comments like, "Oh
0: well, why doesn't he show his face? Why doesn't he show his? Why doesn't he say his name?" Some of the questions that I have related to what you've just shared with us, which is, it's pretty atrocious. This is taxpayer dollars, but the real thing is, is that these are little kids. These are kids. What are the youngest ages you moved? You think?
1: Oh, it was toddlers—three, uh, uh, three months, four months, five months. Um, I the
0: reason. The the reasons were always different, but there were toddlers involved. And are I mean, are you guys changing diapers for toddlers? What what's what's going on with that?
1: So a lot of the times, the the mom would be around. So right. the mom, but the but the mom would be thirteen years old, fourteen years old. So that's why they needed an escort because the mom was underage.
0: Wow. And
1: and. Yeah and they, and they needed to, so when there was a mom and a baby, they would have male, female staff. So I would, I would fly, I would fly with, with the mom and the baby, but there would be a female coworker with me. And uh, there was even times where it was just a baby on its own. And the uh, mom would uh, something happened to her along the way. Got kidnapped. Got anything you can think of? Any bad situation? Uh, there was, if, if I may, if there was this one story where uh, I think it was they talk about a train, a train in Mexico City that they get on, and the kids shared uh, the kids shared that there was a baby in the group because the mom fell off the train and went under the under the train tracks, and and the baby just the kids get passed with the groups that are coming up North and they just start traveling with other groups. And it was all ages, any ages. Uh, I saw them all. I'm
0: I'm kind of shell shocked at, at some of this stuff. I, I mean, I, I have little kids, so I know about how much work it takes and, and how much care goes into raising little kids. Um, and, and you're talking about teenage mothers, 13, 14 years old, that kind of thing. I guess that just had never sunk into me before. I'd never even thought about it, them being that young. I just grown grownups having kids, but we're talking about little, like te- young teenagers running up here as mothers uh, and, and no father. Where where do these kids come from? Where were their fathers?
1: Uh, the, that was, it was, oof, uh, it'd be, uh, there was never like a, we weren't given the rundown. We would just hear if the mom was there, the mom would sometimes talk, the mom would sometimes not want to talk, Yeah. and whatever whatever they would tell us. Uh, so uh, we would hear everything from, uh, from the dad was a gang member who raped the mom in, in, in El Salvador and Guatemala. It was a cartel member in Mexico. It was a police officer from Mexico City it was a someone along the way it was usually majority of time majority of the times it involved rape and it involved someone along the way from their trip to the u.s on the way to the u.s
0: and sure. um i mean we all hear these stories but but you were actually meeting the people the faces of these stories oh
1: yeah and that's the other thing like uh you 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 finished you finish the trip you go home and you can't get the faces you can't get the faces out of your head you lay down and you think of the person that you just escorted to another state and the story they they uh i i don't know how to say it but it messes with your head and it messes with your like do i really want to keep doing this do and uh and you look, you start to look at things differently. And, uh, and it's like, uh, for example, I used to think, uh, I used to think differently when it came to, uh, so I used to say, yeah, like bring all the people here. They want a better life, let them come. But then, then I started hearing the stories and it's like, uh, you do that, you're you're putting people in danger because majority of the time something happens to them a- along the way here. And uh, there's this one story. Uh, if if I can share, I don't know how much I can on your podcast is is what what can be shared, what cannot be shared. But you
0: can say anything you want, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not gonna. I don't, okay, I don't so... have any censorship. So if you got a story and you want to share it and you want think people should hear it, then please do.
1: Yeah, so there was this, uh, I think he was 12, because it's been a while. Mm-hmm. I want to say his age was 12. He was very quiet. Um, we tried everything. We tried giving him an iPad. We tried giving him uh Pizza Hut. We tried giving him candy. We tried everything because he would not talk. And with a kid that's small, you know, you, you feel for these children while you're working th- in this job you you want to make the kids happy because at the end at the end of the day children are innocent and they they you, they shouldn't be involved in in issues that that adults are having and tried tried everything possible with this kid and by the end of the day when we finally got to where he was going the sponsor well this is what they call them sponsors the sp- the sponsor was the aunt of the child. And the aunt of the child told us that the kid saw his older sister be raped by multiple men. And the sister uh, passed away on the way to the USA. And uh, that's why he wouldn't talk. And uh, in that story just stuck with me. And uh, that was another thing where I was like, I got to say something, I got to speak out. Because, like, you, you, you see these faces and then you hear the stories and you just can't get them out of your head. You just can't get that out of your head. And, like, the movie, The Sound of Freedom, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it because I live through a lot of that stuff. And it's just going to bring back memories that I don't want to, I don't want them to resurface. And I'm, I'm slowly getting past that part of my life. And uh, just seeing, you know, a movie that in directly involves child trafficking, something's gonna trigger inside of me where it's gonna be like, I don't, I don't want to see it. And uh, and uh, it's just horrifying stories that you hear. And they weren't so bad when I first started doing this; they were not as bad. It wasn't until until the the current administration that it just started getting so out of hand. And the the bad stories turn into something that you would hear daily, every day. And uh, when I f- decided to speak out on this, I got text messages from work from past coworkers who were very upset at me because people got fired, uh, they lost their jobs, and they're telling me they 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 had a, a family to provide for, how could you? And you just wanted the attention on you, you just wanted this and that. And I was like, all those kids with family members who got raped, who got murdered along the way too, they have families as well. And uh, and it just turned into a lot of, uh, uh, it, it it just got into a mess, you know? And I said, I, I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this because I can't handle it anymore. It, just the, the situations just got bad and bad and bad. And I was like, I don't want to be any more part of this.
0: Can you tell me, you're talking about such an incredible amount of trauma um, from the children experiencing it, the, the minors that you were transporting, but then also the, hearing their stories is traumatic. People who were in that, that field. Generally speaking, have some kind of outlet. Did they provide mental health services for any of the unaccompanied minors or for any of the employees like yourself?
1: Zero, zero. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no uh, following up with them. There's no, the moment, the moment they can get a sponsor to say yes, I'll accept the kid. That's it. There's no more. Get them a plane ticket. Uh, tell them to pack their things. The travel escorts, which is what I would do, are going to be by to pick them up. That kid, put them on the back end. Don't worry about him anymore. He's not our problem. They're the problem of the NGO who's going to escort him to the sponsor. And to the staff, it was the same thing. It was just suck it up. You guys are adults. Uh, Be grown ups about it. Get over it. It's life. That's... The, the words I'm saying now are the words that were told to us directly. Whenever somebody would complain, was was you're just an escort. For example, uh, if we would get to a sponsor, and the sponsor was a lot of the times they were they were really drunk, they were messed up, they were high on something, they were drunk on. Uh, you could smell it in their breath. We would sometimes call back. To management, and we would tell management, hey, the sponsor's here, but he's messed up. And in many different ways, he's messed up. Uh, Can we bring the kid back? Uh, I don't feel safe dropping off the kid here. When the Biden administration happened, it was it, the rule was, you're just an escort. Don't get involved. Don't get personally attached to the kids. You have no say. You cannot bring the child back. When you bring the child back, you're going to get fired. And in the previous administration, uh, we were allowed to do things like if the sponsor was drunk, we were allowed to say, we're not turning the kid over to you. We'll try again next week. And next week, if you show up drunk again, you're not going to get this kid. You You need to not do that because you're accepting a child that you're going to be responsible for show up. Without uh, under any substance, and we would just take the kid back. And in the moment, uh, the moment the new administration came in, it was you have no right. You're just an escort. You're just a contractor. You're not a federal employee. You're no one of any. You're no one of any power. You're no no one of any reach. Uh, don't come at us with a uh, oh you think you think this should happen or you think this should happen. No. And if you if you're not okay with that, you can leave because you're just another number. We'll hire someone in your place next week. So, a lot of the times, uh, it, it it angers me because i i see I see now people saying, "Oh well, Trump had four years to combat this, and he had four years to do this, to expose this," and it's like, no, he in un, under the previous administration, as I. I'm speaking for myself, as a government, as an NGO contractor, we did have more power to prevent kids from ending up in a bad situation than in the current administration. And, and uh, before I forget, because uh, I've always seemed to forget this in other, in, uh, in, when I'm talking to other people, but the company I worked for, w- there was two separate contracts. There was a contract to move kids around the country, and then there was a contract to de- deport people, to send them back to their country. So uh, we the contract was that the NGO was allowed to help out uh, with the removal of people who are here illegally. The moment the new administration came in, that contract got canceled. Uh, it became zero. So before that, this administration there was there was uh deportation flights every day that the con- that the NGO would help out in and then the moment the new administration came in there were zero deportation flights for the NGO everybody who was on the deportation contract just carried over to the contract with the with the ones with the children so um uh the that contract was gone and uh, everybody just carried over to us to help escort the children
0: around the country. Are you, a, are you a real political guy? Would you describe yourself as being very politically interested?
1: I wasn't. I wasn't. But as the years have gone on, I've, it's gotten my interest more and more. Uh, but I am now, but I wasn't before.
0: Explain to me kind of what that evolution looked like. When, you know, When were you first aware that there was a political nature to this? Oh man.
1: Um, well, before I was one of those where, oh, I'm Hispanic, the color of my skin is brown, I can't vote for Trump, I can't vote for anybody on the Republican side. I, for example, I, I voted for Beto O'Rourke, which was not long ago. I voted for O'Rourke when he ran against Ted Cruz in the, in the Senate race. Mm-hmm. I had a sticker that said uh, Beto for Senate, and I had it on my laptop, and uh, I wasn't so involved in politics then. I was just, hey, I gotta vote this way because this is what I've been taught. This is what I've been told to do. And then I started getting older, and I started getting involved myself in the in the NGO contracts. And I started seeing, for example, you you on the news you see oh, there's border patrol agents whipping migrants and this and that, and there's kids in cages. And then when when I started working there, I would see the border patrol agents buy uh, soccer balls. They would buy all these toys from Walmart. They would buy snacks out of their own money to bring to the kids at the intake center. And I just saw a whole other side of of things where it opened up my mind to, Hey, you, uh, you've been wrong about it this whole time. And, um, I do vote now, but, uh, I, I don't know how to say it. Um, I, I, I do have a bigger interest in politics now, but not to the point where, because, because of my line of work, you know, you can't, you can't be vocal about, you can't be vocal about, uh, I'm against immigration. I'm for immigration. The moment you start being vocal about that, you're fired. <laughs> and I sure. did this for you. I did this for years. So the whole political thing is just—it's uh, just something I'm just starting to get into recently. Now that I can't go back to working what I used to do.
0: Sure. Well, you know, you mentioned a Beto sticker. Did you ever put a Trump sticker on a vehicle or on a on a laptop that you had? Was that something in your life?
1: Oh, no, no, no,
0: no, no, <laughs> no, never. Okay. Never. Did you have a Biden sticker by chance? I
1: did. I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. At, and, and the reason I, I did ask did you that is because I'm, I'm,
0: I'm curious about this sort of perspective that we're talking about. And, and you know, you, you've mentioned the two different regimes, the difference that you saw, but it doesn't sound like you were out there looking for Trump to be the good guy or Biden to be the bad guy. You just seemed, to, it sounds like you just experienced it. And correct me if I'm wrong there, please
1: no yeah exactly what you just said was i was never into uh picking a side or or this side is more right than the other it was just i want to do some good i want to be in a line of work where i can make a kid stay better uh i speak the language so i might as well go in there and do this and and uh i just started seeing exactly do you the way you worded it is the way it was was the as the time went on i started seeing everything i was never like oh here comes biden and it's gonna be really bad it was no it was uh it was never like that it was never about politics it was never about that it was just hey it's it's another day of work it's another day of humanitarian work and another day of helping out people in need and uh, because believe it or not Uh, a lot of people on the border are hispanic and a lot of people still don't speak spanish
0: sure no i I, i'm familiar with that concept too especially when someone speaks spanish to them and they can't they can't answer it's always a difficult situation they just assume carlos we're just talking about it, it wasn't a political decision for you um you're seeing all this trauma you're experiencing this all it's changing the way that you're looking at the job that you're doing what was the the straw that broke the camel's back that decided you just you couldn't stay silent about what you're doing and keep collecting a paycheck?
1: The email. The email where where our manager admitted to, uh, we're handing off kits to the wrong people. And the reason why the email did that was because uh, co-workers talk, you know? And sure. I would hear so, so many stories of co-workers telling me, I dropped off a kid who said they didn't know the sponsor, uh, that they were told that the sponsor was their uncle, but they had never met him. They had never spoken to them. And the only time that they did have uh, some sort of communication, apparently was when they were way too young and they don't remember it. And, And the coworkers would say things like, Oh, the the kid was crying. The kid was saying they do not want to go to the sponsor, but I didn't care. I had to drop, I wanted to drop her off already so I can go party because the way it works is as soon as you drop the kid off with the, with the sponsor, you can go out there and do whatever you want. So if you're in LA, you can go out and go to the club, go to the bars, as long as you, because the return flight was never the same night. It, It was the next day. And, um. And it was uh, a lot of those stories where there was other stories too. Where well, um, it wasn't uh, from coworkers. So aside from a normal, from a normal, re- so they call it a re- reunification. Sure. When you and and these reunifications were sometimes were made in groups. So what would happen is we would get calls. Saying, "Hey, there's 200 kids who are past the limit of their stay at a shelter in West Texas. If they're not moved from that shelter, they're going to get deported, and and they've they've reached the max days that they could be there. So you guys have to go, get on the private planes with them, and and here's uh, you're going to go spread them out across the East Coast." so we would have government phones where the government phones would tell us you're delivering these kids in north carolina you're going to deliver these kids in south carolina you're going to deliver these kids in florida and georgia and and where were they going the time so it was different shelters different ngos who would call the shelter in west texas and say hey we have room we have room for six kids we have room for eight kids we have room for 10 kids send them over we'll 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 work on their cases we'll work on reunifying them we'll give them you're another just, chance to stay in the country
0: you're just shuffling kids around to basically hit the the metrics so that they don't go over a certain time limit not solving the problem is that they're just getting pushed off to another person
1: yeah, and I'm glad you're asking this because this is a whole, you see, this is, <laughs> this. there's a whole, it's a whole uh, mess. So the question you're asking is something else I wanted to get into, but I had forgotten. So when these situations would happen, the one I just explained, a lot of these kids in West Texas, when I went to pick them up, when, when we went to pick them up, the kids start talking amongst themselves and, and then they start talking to us. And sometimes the topic would be, oh, which shelter have you liked the most? And the, and kid A would ask that to kid B. And the and the B kid would say, uh, I enjoyed the shelter in Seattle the most because in Seattle, we were allowed to leave if we wanted, uh, if, if we're 15 and older, we were allowed to leave and come back in And we were allowed to explore the city and this and that. And then the other kid would say, oh, no way. I've only been to a shelter in Philadelphia, or I've only been to the shelter in Pittsburgh, or I've only been to the shelter in New York City. So a lot of these kids who are being escorted around in the private private charter planes in the middle of the night, they're kids who have been in the system two years, three years, Sometimes we would see as far back as four years and it's like what the hell like that's something I can't answer like because I would wonder that myself but you hear this I would hear this and I would ask the kid how long have you been here and the kid says I've been here for two years but it's been a year since I haven't seen my sister I got separated from my sister a year ago in the shelter in Chicago we were both in a Chicago shelter and I never saw her again And after the Chicago shelter, I ended up in a shelter in California, in San Diego. And from San Diego, I ended
0: up in Texas. So So you're moving them off the Texas border with the assumption that these people just got in from the border. But in reality, they're bouncing around the country like some kind of musical chairs for unaccompanied minors.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's 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 crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of these kids... The ones that you see on the charter flights, like the one that got on the media, about, I want to say there were probably 300 kids. Half of those kids have been in the system for more than a year. And they've been bounced around from shelter to shelter. So the trips that I went on, I would sometimes deliver them to, uh, for example, the Catholic charity in New York City and then they would have all these different names and it was so shady because they would have names that i did not recognize and then the the, the address to drop the kids off would be a uh, a home in a in a in a in a neighborhood in a uh, in the suburbs and it would look like a family home and the person that would open the door was not like oh hey how, how are you how thank God you guys are here and we've been waiting for you. No, none of that. It's just hand me the paperwork. Here's my ID. Where do I sign? Um, The minimal contact, really shady, really, really uh, off-putting, really like no, no, uh, oh, are you guys tired? You've been traveling all day. None of that. It's just give me the kids, get out of here. And it would be like actual homes of You you would think a family lives there uh, and it's no, it's they're accepting uh, migrant kids. And uh, it was a lot of weird situations like that. That was like, hey, I got to speak up because the longer I do this, the shadier it's getting.
0: And uh, that's, yeah, all these things sound so alerting and so troubling, especially if you've ever worked in the, with kids, which I have as a, as both a a medic and I've done it in law enforcement. I mean, there's so many, there's so many oversight mechanisms built in domestically for this to be going on is crazy. Um, You mentioned money earlier, you talked about $35 for a janitor. What kind of money are we talking about here? And were you guys on per diem when you're traveling, like most government employees would be, how did that all work? What was the compensation looking like?
1: So there was per diem, no matter, the pay was different depending what office you were at, but the per diem was the same from every office. So say I would, uh, go to New York city, the New York city per diem was, could be like $60 going there, $60 coming back. And it would range it would vary the more expensive the city was the higher the per diem was but Mm -hmm. if you get some random some random small town city in midwest in the midwest it was really low it was like 40 dollars but the per diem was still there and it was crazy because for example me i was getting paid 21 an hour but the amount that you were expecting at the end of the week would be way more because the per diem checks would kick in and you would do like uh, just in two trips alone you would hit like 200 bucks and there was times where i was getting on the where i was doing where i was getting on 9 to 12 different planes a week and a I'd lot of times a, a week? week 9 to 12 planes a week jeez yeah so it was a lot of like you go drop off the kids you would come back hey go to go to your hotel go shower get something to eat come back in two hours because you're going to go out again with more kids and and it was it was just crazy amount of trips and there was times where i was old i was old uh they would back pay me for per diem trips and I would get hit in a per diem check alone, the highest I, I once saw, I saw 5K for a per diem check once. And it, it was uh, just a one check in just per diem trips. Yep. And uh, it, you would add that on top of my regular pay, for that week alone, I saw 7K, I cleared 7K. And um, the, the just depending on the contract, the area, the, the, the pay varied, but it's well-paying well jobs. For example, in New York City, I was making 43 an hour.
0: Let's talk about New and, York City uh, a little bit, if you don't mind, if, if we, can, we can kind of dig into what was going on. What was your role in New York City for the most part?
1: So New York City, my role was site administrator, but it was the first time that I went in there with a management type of responsibility. So New York City, uh, we've all seen it on the news, uh, the the East Coast is new to the immigration stuff. So they started calling a bunch of people like me, saying, hey, uh, we're gonna open up hotels in New York, in Chicago, in Philadelphia. We're gonna open up these migrant hotels and the people on the East Coast don't have any experience in this. So we need you guys down south who do have experience in this to lead. We want you guys to lead a team of 200 staff members for 5,000 people. And that was my job was to It was me and three other people with my same job title. So the four of us were in charge of 200 staff members in a hotel of 5,000 migrants. And that was my job was to run anything you can think of, any anything that you can think of, whether it be a baby's missing medication, we don't know what to do. Then the people, the local staff, the staff below me were like, "Oh, we don't know what to do. Go get, go get Carlos, or go get the other three people like him who who worked this in this for years. Go get them; they'll figure it out." And it was it was just a headache because i would go to my hotel and at two in the morning i would get a call saying hey a fight happened between a couple we don't know what to do and it's like what do you mean you don't know what to do call the police and i would try to call the police but then the people above me who would show up to the hotel once like they would show up for like three days every other month and then they would go back to where they were from. So, so it was me, and then there was managers above me, and these managers would keep in contact with us through chatting, through iMessage, through uh, FaceTime videos, through Microsoft Teams, and they would tell us how to run these, these places. So I would try to do the right thing and call the police but my management would say hey if you call the police you're risking us losing the contract mm-hmm. doesn't matter if the husband raped the woman doesn't matter if the husband stabbed the wife doesn't matter if the husband kicked the baby and the baby's bleeding
0: from his head don't call the police Try to are, handle those, it. are those actual examples that were given to you or that you actually saw happening in the hotel
1: Actual examples. Yes. Yes. Actual examples. And, uh, the, they are, all these are actual things that happen in the hotel mm-hmm. and, and we're, you're starting to see it. Like, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but a bunch of migrants killed somebody in New York, I think yesterday or two days ago, they pushed them through like a glass door. And, um, it's starting to happen. Like, like the riots in France to where, And the the thing is, the migrants are mad because the money is running out in New York. So the migrants there are telling their family and their friends, hey, come now when you come here and get on the bus to New York because look at the room I have. And then they with with the, the phone, they're showing the room and they're showing the view of Times Square. But when the migrants are getting there now to New York City, the rooms, they're all gone. They're full. And if they're not full, the money is just not there anymore. And What kind of hotels are so, these, by the way?
0: Yeah, like, I, I feel like the hotels outside of Times Square are pretty nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the hotel that I worked at had a, a four-star. A, it, was a, it was known as a four-star hotel. It's called the Royal NYC. So this hotel, just to tell you how nice it was, on during New Year's Eve, the migrants would tell us, oh, hey, Carlos, uh, we got a great view of the ball drop from our window, you want to come see it? And I'd be like, there's no way, there's no way you got a view of the ball drop. And that would go up there and there it is, they got a view of the ball drop. And uh, that's how crazy, uh, it's. they got the ball drop, they got <laughs> uh, a block away from Times Square, um,
0: it was. It's just crazy hotels. It's and how how uh, were the migrants treating these these properties? Were they oof. keeping them nice? No, no. There is the the infrastructure in
1: the hotel. It's, it's falling apart because uh, the, we would tell the migrants, "Hey, these hotels are not made for you guys to plug in frying pans. For you guys to be fl- plugging in air fryers." Because there's five thousand of you and five thousand of you trying to plug in all these things together at once is gonna cost a blackout, it's gonna cost all these situations that are gonna cost the hotel to go down. And of course they don't believe it. The migrants are like, No, you guys are just even though I'm I'm Hispanic, they're like you're a racist, you're a traitor to your race. You don't want me to plug in my frying pan because you hate people of my color. And I'm like, excuse me, do you not see that my skin is brown? Like, what do you mean I hate people of your color? And they don't care. They're like, the first thing they say is, you're racist, you're racist, you're racist. And, um, it's, it, the way it is here in the US, it's the same with them. They, go to, they play the race card right away. And you would try to tell them, hey, uh, there are certain rules, and it's not because we want to be jerks to y'all. It's for the well being of the hotel. Because someone in, in New York City thought it was a good idea to put 5,000 of you in here all at once. And it's not a good idea. And we're all going to, I'm going to end up without a job. You're going to end up without a home because the hotel is going to go down, they still didn't care. They didn't care. And uh, everything from doing drugs to bringing in weapons to, to uh, I had a machete swung at me in that hotel. And it was because we kicked out a guy who had just beat his wife up. And he came back with a machete looking for the wife. And since my job title was to be sort of like a management type, My job title was to address these situations head on. I I had to approach the guy and the guy swung the machete at me. And, and there was other situations where we had weapons in the building and it was migrants who were upset that they weren't accepted into the hotel or they were kicked out of the hotel. They would come back with handguns and, and they would, um, or it would be kids who go out there and get their hands on a gun and they would come back and hide it in their rooms, but we were not allowed to go inside the rooms. The rules were always respect their space. Under no circumstance are you allowed to uh, search a room. Even if there's a weapon in there, it's tough shit, Uh, deal with it and don't go in there. And a lot of times staff, myself, I saw weapons with my own eyes too, aside from the machete. And, and it's just attracting all kinds of bad situations to the point where I just recently found out that the contract for my previous employer at that hotel has now been lost. Uh, the company is leaving the hotel. And when the company leaves the hotel, it means that the money is running out. And the next contract to be lost is the one with the hotel itself. So the migrants in that hotel are going to soon be out in the streets. So 5,000 of those people, if they don't go somewhere else soon, if they don't go to a family member across the country, you're going to see them out in Times Square in a tent.
0: That's incredible. I mean, all of that is just, it's so wild to think about. Is there, does it seem like there's a game plan that that if we can just wait long enough, then they'll they'll solve this problem? Or... Are they doing musical chairs with these people too?
1: No, they're doing musical chairs with them too. Um, but I think I think Mayor Adams is having a meltdown. Like every time he's on camera, he seems broken down. He seems he seems like he wants he doesn't know what to do. And uh, but I think the 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 mistake there it's it's irreversible because. You give them all these free all these free things, you give them a free room in Times Square. Who's gonna say no to that? You know, I wouldn't say no to that. If you're telling me you can live in New York City without paying for it, I'm gonna take you up on it. Mm-hmm. And you give that and then you take it away by saying we have no more room for you, the migrants are not gonna be like, okay, we understand the money is running out. No, a lot of the times the migrants get in your face and they say, we know the federal government gave you this money to take care of us. That money is ours and not yours. You're telling us there's no more money or there's none of this because you're keeping it for yourselves. So it's not a, oh, hey, we understand you guys. It's no, you guys gave us, you guys gave my mom a, a free hotel room. If I got, If I come here, if I just got here, from Central America and you gave my mom a hotel room two months ago, I expect a hotel room when I get here. And, and that's why you're seeing the migrants who killed those people who killed that one guy two days ago in New York. Uh, you're starting to see them get angry because New York city, um, you can't advertise yourself as a, sanctuary city and say, we're going to give you all these things and then take it away because you're messing with people's lives. Because like I shared earlier, these people go through a lot of things on their way to the U.S. And the last thing they want to hear when they finally do make it to the U.S. is everything that we promised, everything that's been given out, it can't be given out to you. They're going to be mad and they're going to be angry. And I don't know. I don't know how to I don't know how new york city can fix it and they they messed up big
0: time it definitely sounds like that um you know we hear a lot about people coming in from the border that they came to the united states because they're looking for a better life i think we've all heard that kind of story and i think a lot of that's true and that people want to come here and work hard Uh, but you're describing people that sound very entitled is are people here to work really hard is that what they came here to do or do they come here for the free stuff or what what is your experience with the the mindset of like, what are they looking down the line to achieve here in the United States?
1: So when I first started working in this, you would hear a lot of good, you would meet a lot of good people and you would meet a lot of people who would, uh, who would be crying saying, I made it through the process I'm I'm, I'm here. And they would be really grateful and, uh, and they would tell us things like, uh, uh, so there's a couple of things I want to share. So, because that's a great question. So in the shelters where you where I used to work at and be a ba- basically what I call it, a babysitter. When I used to be a babysitter of these kids. There was kids who would tell us, for example, when I would try to get them after they were done eating breakfast and I would try to get them to pay attention in class the kids would tell us in my country i never went to school and i never went to school not even for an hour what makes you think i'm going to go to school for eight hours here eight hours a day five days a week like you're they were flat out tell me sir you're stupid if you think i'm going to be going to school here i didn't come here for school and it's and it's not because." They're bad people. They're bad kids. It's just their culture where they come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what they know. They don't know school. They don't know uh, the the system of nine one one. A lot of the times, kids would fight over the iPads. They would fight over the Nintendo Switches, and they would get violent. The kids would say, "You're lucky we're here." Like little kids who are like nine years old. They would tell them each other, "You're lucky we're here. and You're lucky there's these rules. Because if we were back in El Salvador, I would cut your hand off right now. In El Salvador, I cut someone's hands off, and my uncle was there with me. And my uncle and I would laugh in that guy's face after we cut his hand off. And you're just lucky that we're here now, and that there's a teacher here. that would call me teacher. They didn't want to, They wouldn't call me sir all the time." they they call us teacher they call us mister mm-hmm. so they would the little kids would say you're lucky the teachers right here if not I'll cut your hand off right now and um it's just the culture that they were they're used to it's hard to get them to understand that that's not the way things are here and i would try to explain these things to them where in texas you know truancy. If you don't go to school, you're missing from school. They're gonna come looking for you. And I would try to explain that to the kids, and the kids would say, "Then I'll just leave. I'll run away. I'll go to the next state. I'm not gonna stay here. I'm not gonna go to school. I need him. I need to make money." And it's the same thing with the adults. The adults are are uh, they? They're violent because things like the 911 system don't exist where they're coming from. They don't understand that here, if you call the 911, the police are gonna show up and they wanna get violent right away. And they think getting violent is the solution to everything. So back then when I was first escorting kids, there was this one kid who made me cry because the kid asked me we were in the airport in, in Dallas and he asked me, Hey, sir, I haven't spoken to my mom in, in three weeks. Can you FaceTime her for me? So I, I let him use It was through WhatsApp. So I let him use the WhatsApp on my phone to call his mom. And when he called his mom, the mom started crying. The mom started cheering because the kid told her I'm already on my way to see my aunt. I'm on my way to see your sister. I'm, I'm out of the shelter, I'm finally gonna be with, with my aunt. And uh, I'm no longer in the shelter system. And the mom would start crying and cheering and then the mom would call over the uncle and the uncle would call over the cousins. And the family would just gather around the phone and all of them were yelling and crying. And the kid would start crying and the kid would tell me, oh, everybody pitched in Everybody back at home gave me all the money, all, all, all the money they had, so I could use that money for food on the way up here, so I could pay for food and stuff in Mexico, and, and that's why they're all they're all on the video chat call. So these, that's the story I heard when I first started working here. Mm-hmm. But those those stories started to go away when there was no more structure, when there was no more. Who can you let in? Who can who, uh, uh, who who needs what requirements to come into the country? Which brings me to the article I shared with you over the person who posed as a child, right? Uh, the one in Florida from twenty
0: twenty one. Yeah, Ryan. So do we have noticing... that article? We can throw up real quick. There it is.
1: So this article uh, is another situation that we started to see. With the, pre, with the current administration, under the Biden administration, was the kids would tell us, I threw my papers before I crossed the border in Mexico. And I threw my papers because I stand a better chance of entering the country without them. And I don't know how it works, but a lot of the times when I was last there, you could see certain kids who look like adults, but somehow they got through the cracks, and we escorted them. And the one in this in this report that you guys are showing, I know a coworker who escorted him to Florida, because you see the, you see the stuff on the news and you talk about it at work the next day. So, I heard it from a coworker saying I escorted that guy. I took him to Florida. And turns out that that guy was not a child. He was 20, I don't know what the report says, but I think I he was 24. 21 or 22. Oh, 24, wow. I think so. so. So a coworker admitted to escorting him and he ended up killing his sponsor. And, and that's not an isolated situation. There's a lot of times where the kids would tell us, hey, sir, hey, teacher, You see, you see the guy up in the front? He's not a kid, he's a gang member, and he threatening a lot of us in the shelter. Be careful with him. If you escort him, be, be very careful. Don't turn your back to him, because if you turn your back to him, he can do something to you. But he has he has gang-affiliated tattoos, and he just hides them from everybody. But we know in the shelter, the kids would tell each other, hey, that's not a kid, that's an adult. Be careful with him. So that was another. That's another situation that, that I saw. And the reason why I'm sharing all this is because you asked me, uh, what do I see with the adults and the migrants in general who are coming here? The the bad outweigh the good now because there's no there's no more there's not a structure anymore as to who can come in, and it's and and when they, there's not a, the structure is gone, the numbers shoot up and it's impossible to hire uh, enough people to vet these people process p- properly. They're gonna get away and they're gonna get in the shelters and they're gonna be escorted around the country under, under the, the, the mindset that they're a child and they're not. So the, the bad outweigh the good now. There's no more good stories it's more bad stories of bad people who are coming here it's 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 people who don't want to work it's people who are not who are not kind people they're not good people and i'm not saying that it's they just outweigh the the good you see more of the bad than you do the good
0: sure i think that makes a lot of sense although it's awfully sad um one of the worst things that i've heard and i don't know if you have any experience with this but i've been hearing people kind of rumbling about when children show up, especially female children, but um, um, also male children, that they are being so sexually abused that they have to have medical examinations when they get there in the intake stations and that they're finding them pregnant and paying for abortions. Did you, did you have any experience seeing any of that stuff in the sites that you were able to, to be part of?
1: All the time, all the time. It was another thing where it was, she, she's here, uh, but you can't, You can't talk to her just yet because she's still being processed because she was just raped. And a lot of the times there was border patrol agents that you would see, uh, say, I I can't handle, uh, I'm done with this. They would just get up and leave. And because the reason being that they would say I would witness that was because a lot of the times, the person who raped the, the little girl, who raped the teenager, who raped the, woman, the older woman, they were right there. They were next to them. And they would, they would uh, either be next to them, or they would be in a separate area, in the, in the, in the detention center, in the intake center, or they would be uh, uh, on the bus. And you, you would ask the person, like, who did this to you? Oh, the guy's on the bus. He raped me like four times. And he's up there. And they would take the girl to the bus and she would point him out. So it was something, something that you would hear all the time.
0: That's horrible. And I can imagine that was probably really infuriating for people in law enforcement not being able to do anything about it. What happened to these people that were accused of rape?
1: Oh man, the ones I can speak on
0: mm-hmm.
1: are the ones in New York City. And the ones in New York City, you would think, because the decision will fall on me. And and uh, and when the decision falls on me, I have to ask my higher ups what to do. And I would say, hey, this is where, where I want to go. But in the end, I can't do it without getting the, the clear, the clear, the go ahead and do it. So a lot of the times, uh, it was more than once, more than once, it was this guy raped this woman, this guy beat this woman, can I report them? Can I call NYPD? Can I call ICE? Can I do something? And it was no, just kick them out of the, ho- the hotel, send them, um, send them to Port Authority, and then Port Authority is where they would get processed for another hotel. And, and and there was a lot of these guys who raped women, who beat up women, who were on their second or third hotel in New York City. They were not kicked out of the city. They were not sent to the proper law enforcement authority. They were just given another hotel.
0: Because all so the NGO, huh? Yeah, you, so your contractors are essentially covering up these crimes or doing the musical chairs routine. And what the motivation was what? Keep the contract? Not cause any yeah, stir. Keep, keep, keep the contract. Keep the contract because it's. I've I
1: forget how much it was worth, but in, in my initial when I first spoke out, it's talked about. I think the number is two hundred and sixty-seven million every three months, just to renew the contract.
0: Whoa! Every three months. Yeah. Every three months. It's a billion dollars a year. Yeah.
1: And, and, uh, they lost the contract and they're out there. They got to get out of the hotel this week, the staff, the NGO, but it got renewed, I want to say five times,
0: five quarters, if I'm not
1: mistaken. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's incredible. Because
1: this, this NGO has been there, uh, since Randall's Island, I uh, since the first because for the hotels it was ten cities in New York. So it's it's been it's been going on for a while. And uh, yeah, it's that much money. So all the NGOs, they covered they cover each other they all know each other, which is why I can't go back. After sharing my my name and my face, I can't go back to working this because everybody knows each other. Yeah. And if I show up to another job, if it doesn't, if it, if they don't already know, uh, a week into it, uh, another NGO will show up and they'll be like, "Hey, that's a whistleblower that you hired. Get him out of here." So uh, everybody knows each other. Everybody covers each other, and because it's not a big thing yet, everybody focuses on DHS, FBI, uh, but everybody. For some reason, that's the NGOs off the hook.
0: What are the names of these NGOs, if you don't mind?
1: So it's, I work for MVM Inc. That's Uh, MVM, Mike,
0: Victor, Mike Incorporated? Correct. Okay.
1: And I'm going to, you want me to name a few? I'm going to name the ones who are the major, like who got the major contracts. So uh, there's a company called uh, Crucial Staffing. So their staffing agencies is the other thing, and a lot of these staffing agencies got contracts uh, primarily in the food industry, yep. but out of nowhere they get they get lucky to get a government contract and it's like, how are you going from food to immigration? It's insane, and um, so yeah, so there's MBM Inc. Uh, Southwest Keys. Uh,
0: you say Southwest, Southwest Keys, Keys like like K E Y S Southwest Keys.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then there's a uh, BCFS staffing, and then there's a uh, uh, acurity which is A C U R I T Y. There's uh, deployed resources. There's um What's the other one? Strategic Security, which is out in New York as well. Mm-hmm. There's Aero Security. And there's uh, uh, Endeavors. And, and, and besides Endeavors, is also a Loyal Source out of Florida.
0: Um, and everybody kind of trades in the more. same contracts. They're all... And employees I assume can jump from one chip to another if the if another gig pops up. Is that kind of how that works?
1: Correct, correct. So that's how I ended up in New York was, uh, they called each other and they're like, hey, tell us who's been uh, working how long, who's done what, uh, send them up here, offer them this much. And they all look out for each other. Cause they all will, sometimes they'll subcontract each other. So sure. sometimes, They'll say, "Hey, I gotta move these many kids, but I don't have the enough staff. Can you help me out?" And they'll help each other out.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a wild racket when we start getting the big government money in play. Um, wh- what's your prerogative look like now? What is your what's your future looking like? Do you have any you know prospects for getting another job? And I know you said you're recovering from some surgery, so we wish you well on that. But um, you know, what are you what are you looking at? You 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 blew up this this job. And, uh, and it sounds like for some very good reasons. So you, what's the, what's the future? Oh, there's, I don't know what I'm doing right now. <laughs> um,
1: I'm still dealing with, because when I, when I got my name and my face out there, uh, this has been my life for multiple years. So people who I would speak to daily, people who I would speak to 24 seven, who I would go hang out with, who I would go have a burger with, they don't talk to me anymore. There's still people who do, but it's not the same. And the majority the majority who were in my life, uh, they want to protect their, their job. And I understand it, I don't blame them, but my life has kind of been turned upside down and uh, I'm still dealing with all that and uh, my head is nowhere i've done some job interviews but it hasn't worked out and uh being from the border there's not much out there to work unless you're gonna do the ngos or or uh, being in law enforcement on the border uh so i'm i don't know where to go from here but um i what i can say is uh my mind is although I'm still dealing with all this, I feel a lot better mentally, you know, my mental health is doing a lot better than when I was working at these places. And that, out, that outweighs, outweighs, uh, the money that outweighs everything bad that happened to me is that at night I can sleep better now, <laughs> now that it's all been, now that it's all out there. You know, I used to be, able. I used to say, uh, I used to criticize people, like when I would see a, a, a politician on TV, I would be like, you've never done anything in your life to really look out for somebody or, and and then when I was contemplating, you know, speaking out, it's like uh, time to put, you know, the money where your mouth is, Carlos, and go out there and do something. and whatever happens, happens. At least now you can say you spoke out. <laughs> so I'm kind of just happy that uh, I'm, I'm out of this line of work. I don't know where where I'm going from now, but uh, I don't regret it. I don't regret it. I don't regret anything I, I, I spoke out against. So hopefully something so hopefully something pops up in my future soon. But uh, at the
0: moment, it's, I don't know where. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I appreciate everything you shared with us. And I also appreciate the type of courage it takes to go forward and destroy a career or or a job that you think that uh, is paying you well, because you know, things are immoral or unethical or illegal that are going on. So um, I applaud you for your effort. I applaud you for stepping forward and stepping into the unknown. It is a strange place. I, I know it very well. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> many of my friends are still sitting in that spot. So you're amongst very good company in that. Uh, let let people know if they want to reach out to you, if there are opportunities that they may have, where can they find you? I know you've got a social media on Twitter. Do you want to share some social media handles where people could reach out?
1: Uh, yeah. On Twitter it's Carlos, but with two S's and then it's T E X. So it's Carlos Tex, And uh, a lot of people, when I, when I did speak out, a lot of people asked me, uh, how can I support you and, and this and that. And I, it's never been, for me, it's never been about the money, you know, or the attention or anything like that. Because the first time I spoke out, I, my face was blurred. My voice was altered. I wanted nothing to do with it.
0: Sure.
1: I wanted nothing, nothing from it. And, uh, it wasn't until, you know, the second time where, I used my name and my face and now I can't what I used to know what to do, I I it's not there anymore and it's hard to, you know, like do something like a gifts and go or a GoFundMe me. And I think I shared that with you, but I do have one if anybody asks, it's 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 on gifts and go, but it's not I, I send you one that says GoFundMe, but that's incorrect. It's under uh, gifts and go Texas, Carlos
0: 22. So. Okay. Yeah. I saw that the wondering... link didn't work. So I wanted to, I was going to ask you about that and I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. I know how hard it is to ask for money for yourself. Cause I've been in that same boat. Um, but I'm happy to ask for money for people and I've done it already once. And so we're going to share your gifts and go. And I will uh, share that out. We'll tweet that thing out with the interview and we'll put it in the show notes. So folks, if you're watching and you want to support Carlos, you can find him. The Twitter is going to be in the show notes and his gifts and Go will also be in the show notes if you want to help him bridge between now and his next opportunity. Buddy, I feel like God always has a place for us. I don't know what it is and I don't know what the plan is. And oftentimes um, it gets really dark for a little while before it gets better. And that's been my experience. Sometimes you, you wake up and you feel like you're defeated. But like you say, when you know you're doing the right thing, there's something special about that because you can go to sleep and you can look yourself in the mirror. And, uh, um, exactly, exactly. you know what, there's uh there's a lot of strength in that. And it's the place where you want to be as a human being. I, I know that, uh, I can tell just from watching your face through this interview that a lot of this stuff weighed on you very heavily.
1: Oh yeah. No, like, I don't know if you remember, but I reached out to you and I said, I've been listening to the Twitter spaces for a while, but I haven't, I just like to work because I'm still dealing from, uh, it was so much like the new york post i i talked to the new york post today again and the fox news and all that it's like it's it's so much when you're new to it and i don't i don't know how to say it but in twitter spaces i usually i would usually like to work more in hearing from you and hearing from your buddies and it was like therapy to me (laughs) and uh and uh I was just like, hey, there's others out there who's done the same thing, and I'm not alone in this. And uh, just from you, hearing you guys share your experiences and from uh, me, myself, finally speaking out, it's like you said, it's you can't put a price on you know on the piece of, of your mind. And, and uh, although I do miss the work, I do miss the type of money I would make, I do miss doing a job where, you know, you felt like you mattered. You felt like you were making a change. Uh, it's nothing compared to how I feel mentally now. I feel way better. And uh, and it's, it's it's I don't know how to explain it. I just feel better mentally. I, even though my life has got a big question mark on it right now, I feel better mentally about where it's going to go from here.
0: I think it's going to go somewhere special that you won't be able to predict and you'd never know if you hadn't come gone, gone out and done the thing you did, like I said uh, oftentimes the path that is in front of us is not easily visible to us. Uh, my buddy, Steve friend likes to say that it's not easy, but it is simple to do the right thing sometimes. So really grateful yeah. that you chose to do that thing. Uh, folks can find some of the reporting that you did with Sav Hernandez. She's been on our show. She's a friend of our show for sure. And Savannah Hernandez is pretty great. So Sav says on Twitter, check out there. We'll put all the stuff in the show notes. I'm, I don't know. I'll say I'm very hopeful that the, an opportunity is going to come your way that you didn't expect, and it's going to shake your life in a much better direction. And uh, in a couple of years, you'll look back and you'll wonder, "How did I get here?" And you'll cool. you'll be where you need to be at that moment. So, thanks for for sharing that story with us, Carlos. Thanks for sharing um, all these this this information. And uh, I know it's going to mean a lot to people to know that what they're what they know is wrong with this administration is wrong. But it's not about politics. It's about people. and It's about kids and it's about the human cost there, which is sounds like very significant
1: yeah exactly exactly oh uh by the way uh i do have a couple of questions uh well one for both of you guys but uh, i don't really think it's for the show
0: <laughs> well that's fine yeah we could take them off the offline um folks if you've been uh enjoying this by all means check out our uh, make sure you're subscribed and and you're uh you're liking this content please share this message honestly share it for carlos share it for us that, uh, uh, suspendables, people who are willing to come out and do the right thing so that they're emboldened, that they know that whistleblowers do have a voice, private industry, people in government, people in government contractors. And you can always reach out. My, my Twitter DMS are always open. So we'll, we'll shut it down right there. My friend, thanks so much for spending this time with me. we can take some, we can take some questions off the, off the, uh, the podcast too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Again, uh, we want to say so much uh, thank you to Carlos for joining us. And uh, if you enjoyed that and you had some more questions that you wanted me to ask, by all means, please put them in the comments below on the Rumble channel. Uh, This show is streamed live from Liberty Hill, Texas every single day. Well, sorry, every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, I do actually go back and read all of those comments. So if there's uh, things on there that you want to add, we're going to do a Twitter space with Carlos probably tomorrow night. Uh, Definitely sometime later on this week, kind of time allowing and his schedule allowing. But I want to make sure I get those questions asked if you don't get to make it there, and we'll make sure it is recorded. Folks, you've been listening to the most quoted podcast by the congressional Democrats in this session of Congress and the most watched podcast by the FBI's security division. If you're watching this video, please scroll on down just a little ways on Rumble and click that thumbs up. I heard we had over 150 so far. Click that thing. Make sure it stays green. That means that uh, the like has been recorded. And I did see some new faces in the chat today as we were doing this interview. Just a couple of quick shout outs to them on Three Say Cheese, uh, The Rising Sun Grill, and Big Waves Sunny Days. Thanks so much for joining us. I know there were some others on there. Those are the quick ones I was able to grab. We do appreciate you joining us in the live chat. For the live show, the community that's being built up, hundreds of you, is uh, is really great to kind of see the interactions as the show goes on. If you're listening on audio and you want to watch us, you can join us at rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. You can share the show's content and the link on your favorite social media platforms. We would appreciate it, especially this message by Carlos today. And uh, we do have a couple people to thank. First of all, it's you for listening. Thanks so much for listening. We do appreciate that. The show does continue to grow because of y'all and because of the five-star reviews like this one from 121212nin came in on Thursday. It says, your guests are so interesting. I hope this one was as well. I love the variety of guests. So many different topics, but they all keep me glued to the conversation. You provide information we need to hear. Thank you. And I'll say thank you to 121212nin. I like that name for some reason. That's a good one. Uh, Folks, we have over 600 views on Apple Podcasts and growing every day. Please add yours to it and we will read it on the show. Again, thanks again to Carlos. You can follow him. His social media tags are in the show notes. You'll find his give and go if you want to contribute and help him out. And I know he would really appreciate it. He doesn't want to ask for the money, but I'm more than happy to ask for you guys to help support him. Every little bit counts. I've been running a uh, give send go for the other whistleblowers in the in the FBI. We get $5 donations, $10 donations. They all come in. They all add to the total. They all do make a difference when there's a lot of you. And there are a lot of you that have open hearts and we do appreciate it when you do that. So Um, And then lastly, our show is possible because the hard work and skill of my technical producer, Ryan Matta, you can follow Ryan at Ryan Matta Media, M-A-T-T-A, Ryan Matta Media on Twitter. You can also see his show on LFA TV. He's going to be talking to Carlos a little bit later on today again. So more from Carlos if you want to hear it. And uh, thanks for our opening scene on the Rumble channel, which you'll hear as we do the stream warm up, which is performed and composed by my very talented brother, Casey Serafin. Folks, subscribe to the Rumble channel wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate that you're uh, you're with us, and thanks for joining us. We will see you again on Friday. Let's shut this one down. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Seraphin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on Rumble.com/slash Kyle Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.